This is the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features important conversations on health policy issues, as well as advocacy efforts to advance access and quality to musculoskeletal health care. Be sure to tune in on the third Tuesday of every month for our regular program. I'm your host, Doug Lundy, chair of the AAOS Advocacy Council. All right, y'all, welcome back to the November Advocacy Bone Beat podcast. This is an interesting episode because at this point we thought, we hoped at least, that we would know the makeup of the new Congress. But my old state, Georgia, once again, seems to complicate everything and they're having to have their runoff. So we do have a new Congress to prepare for and a very short time to progress on key health care policy issues before the new year, specifically mitigating impending Medicare pay cuts and reforming the burdensome prior authorization processes. So I have two of my favorite people with us today. We have Brittany Starr, who is the Senior Political Director at the Office of Government Relations for the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. We had Brittany on last month, and we have the pleasure of having Brittany again today. Brittany is extensively involved with the elections and trying to educate orthopedic surgeons as to the different candidates, how they stand on our specific issues. And then also my very good friend I've known for a long time, Catherine Hayes, who is the AOS Senior Legislative Director. And Catherine is our main lobbyist who goes up onto Capitol Hill and advocates on our behalf in front of Congress, both the House and the Senate, to get our important issues passed. So ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Excited to be back, Dr. Lundy. Brittany, I guess we should first talk about the election, huh? You and I met not too long ago before the election. We fortunately were smart enough not to make predictions, but we tried to discuss some of the issues that are going on about that. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the election landed and what's going on down in Georgia? Just a general election snapshot. The Democrats continue to control the Senate. Republicans won control of the House. Currently, there are five House races that have not been called. And as you mentioned, the Georgia will be going into a runoff for their Senate election on December 8th. I think everyone was surprised about the election results. The biggest loser being the election pollsters. But as a generalization, I think that the candidates that won, especially that won in open or challenger races, were candidates that were talking about the future not looking in the past, and this goes for both parties. The candidates that won in swing districts were pragmatic and the ones that conveyed a hopeful and positive vision of America. And this is my own personal belief. I see the 2022 general election as a great depolarization of America. Many Americans voted split tickets, meaning they voted for both Republicans and Democrats on the same ballot. And I believe that because of the small margins of both the House and the Senate, it will mean that our elected officials will have to work across the aisle and find common ground and common solutions to get things done. I really appreciate you saying it that way. So in Pennsylvania, and I know down in Georgia where a lot of my family lives, the ads were just absolutely brutal. It was nothing but negativism all day long when you flipped it on. And if I'm hearing you right, you're saying that a lot of the electorate was sick of that and just really voted for who they thought was the most positive. Am I saying that right? Yeah, we saw, especially in Georgia and especially in Pennsylvania, we saw that voters were voting for different parties and different elections. And I think that shows us that 
Americans just want to move forward and get things done, work together. All right. So the PAC backed a whole bunch of candidates. How did we do overall? So our overall win rate was 97%. And this is of the races that have been called, right? That's awesome. In the Senate, for the races that have been called, we're at 100% win rate. And in the House, 97% win rate. For those who don't know what a win rate is, it's the percentage of PAC-backed candidates that won their actual race. So there's still a few races that are still outstanding, but we're continuing to track that. And you and I have talked before about why the PAC specifically endorses or supports certain candidates. From a quick overview, can you remind everybody, why do we choose some folks, whether they're red or blue, as opposed to others? We have a lengthy candidate process, especially for candidates in open and challenger races. But the first and foremost, we need a endorsement from one of our members, especially from someone in that state. And then it goes to our PAC committee and we have a candidate selection process. But it comes down to where those candidates stand on our priority issues. I don't want to focus on the negative, but we did have a couple of folks that we supported that didn't quite make it over the line. Can you tell us about Dr. Mahmood and Dr. Jones? Yeah. So Dr. Mahmood, California doctor in California 40, was actually challenging a incumbent member of Congress. He was not successful in his race. And then Dr. Kermit Jones in California 3, he was not successful. But we're going to hear from these guys again, don't you think? Yes, they were incredible candidates, and I think there's a bright future for them, both. On the more positive side, my friend Rich McCormick won down in Georgia, and also Dr. Caravea won. Tell us more about those. I'm really excited about this, Dr. Lundy, because coming out of the 117th Congress, we had 17 physicians, members of Congress, and we're going into the 118th Congress with 19 physician members of Congress. So that's a net plus two. That's a huge win in the physician community. So we have two new physician members of Congress joining us in the 118th Congress, Dr. Rich McCormick, your friend out of Georgia, and then Dr. Yadira Caraveo coming out of Colorado, who is a pediatrician. Rich McCormick is a Republican. Dr. Caraveo is a Democrat. So that brings our total member of number of Democrat physicians up to four, which I think is going to be really great. We have a docs caucus on the Republican side, and maybe we can replicate something on the Democrat side, too. That's great. So I know it's usually more within Catherine's purview because she goes up on the Hill all the time. But can you refresh everybody why it's so important that we have doctors in Congress? Yes, there's a lot of healthcare decisions being made. And we think that physicians who are working with patients every day are the ones that should be part of that conversation. Now, speaking of which, I want to bring Catherine in with you on this next part in terms of what's going on next. I heard on an interview with Mitch McConnell the other day that he was disappointed in the candidate choices, and that's part of what he was blaming on the failure of the red wave. What's the next step for us in terms of candidate choices? Well, I'm going to take a first stab at that. I heard that too, Dr. Lundy. Many of our members came up to me and said, I don't like either of the candidates on the ballot this year. And I think the first step is to actually vote in the primaries. That's how we get those candidate selections in the general, is be involved in the primary selection, get to know the candidates. A couple of days ago, I had one of our members reach out to me and said he's really thinking about running for Congress in 2024. 
So I think starting these conversations right now, because we are in the new election cycle right now, let's already start it, start having those type of conversations and mapping out the future. Yeah, I would agree with everything that Brittany said. I think primary voting is really important in today's environment. In some cases, we are quite a bit divided. And I think that voting absolutely matters. But especially with the physicians that are in Congress right now, when you talk to them about why they ran for Congress, why they are where they are, it's because they didn't like what they were seeing, whether it was all the way back for the ACA or just a lot of mental health issues that we're facing now. Good people make a difference. And so I think it's really important to have the conversations about running for if it's Congress or even a more local election, I think is really critical. And it would be great to have an orthopedic surgeon in the house again. So one other thing that we can do next is we got to get to know this new Congress. Let's talk about reviewing the freshman class profiles and let's talk about the Congressional Ambassadors Program a little bit as well. Getting to know the new members is a really fun part of my job. It's great. A lot of times they'll have meet and greets in D.C. that I will attend. They also do this in their own districts. And I always want to plug our ambassador program. Hopefully, this is something that all of our listeners are aware and participate in. But we do want to help our members develop relationships with their members of Congress. A lot of times, they'll have health policy roundtables that you can sit on. They call you, and it's great to help connect the dots. It helps to put the issues forward and move the needle on important issues for orthopedic surgeons and our patients. Catherine, so I guess you're off for the rest of the year and you have nothing to do. No, wait, there's this lame duck thing. I wish I was off for the rest of the year. Uh, my holidays around this time of the year are my favorite. But really, in some cases, this is when the work of Congress is just getting started. We are now in a lame duck session. Lame ducks have become more important over the past 20 or so years. And it is generally when the members of Congress on both sides of the aisle come together, cut a deal that usually involves continuing to fund the government and then other pieces of legislation that can get passed prior to the elections, mostly for the jockeying. And you don't want to be too much of a deal maker before it could hurt your chances of reelection. So we have a lot of priorities that are potentially going to be addressed. The first and that's on everybody's mind, of course, is the physician fee schedule cuts. Right now, they're at 4.48. There's legislation in the House that would resolve that. And so we are hopeful that will get put together and swept up in a bigger deal. Some other things that we're looking at are a PAYGO cut, which is 4%, extending the telehealth waiver for telehealth reimbursement. Prior authorization is another thing that we're hoping will get put into a big package. So all eyes really are on this big package. Catherine, you talked about the 4.48. So once again, that is the amount that we are getting reduced on the conversion factor, right? Correct. What's so important about the 4.48%? Why are we advocating for that to get back up? So the 2023 physician fee schedule was finalized in early November, and that finalized that cut for all physicians. Medicare Part B is the only part of Medicare that has to be budget neutral. So when payments increase in some places, they decrease in others. So this is an overall 4.48% cut that is mandated by law. 
Congress has the ability to resolve this 4.48% cut. And this is something that they've been doing yearly for the past couple of years. We are hoping that this is the last year or one of the last years that we're faced with this problem and that we can start having real conversations next year about an overall payment reform. It's always such a complex issue to discuss to folks. Now, one thing about this lame duck, and I get a lot of our members are thinking and that you have all year to get all the stuff done, yet Congress just jumps in December, does a whole lot of stuff frantically to try to get it all fixed before the end of the year and before the new Congress sits. Any thoughts on why Congress always waits for these massive bills to come through during the lame duck? We told everybody on the PAYGO package, don't worry, PAYGO will be taken care of during the lame duck. Why do they always put this off? I think that's a really great question. So a lot of it does have to do with the politics of it. You don't want to take a hard vote right before the election. A lot of Republicans, for example, voted in favor of the infrastructure bill and their constituents were not happy with that and how they were voted on reflected that. You need to do that at the end of the year post-election. The other big thing with the big packages They become must-pass packages. This one, for example, is attached to CR, which funds the government. You have to fund the government. And so if you're able to put all of these issues into one package, it's harder to say no to voting on that. And it helps cut the deals and makes everyone happy. So is there anything specific that our fellows should do in regards to either of these bills, specifically with prior authorization or with the physician fee schedule? AAOS sent a letter mid-November, along with a bunch of our subspecialties that asked for the conversion factor to be updated and for the prior authorization bill to be passed. We also have our grassroots running right now. They'll be running through the end of the year. So I would highly encourage everyone to visit our website, go to our grassroots. It takes just a couple of minutes, especially if you've already signed into it. It's just a couple of clicks. Sending these kinds of letters to members of Congress are critically important because that is how they know what their constituents want to be done. I always like to tell people that the response you get back may not be satisfactory. It may be a very bland response. That doesn't mean that you're letter didn't matter, that they didn't count it. They just get a large influx of letters and it is hard to respond to all of them individually. Well said. And it's so easy to do as well. Y'all made that very easy on the website. All right. So let's look forward once again to the 118th Congress. If y'all don't know, that's the body that will sit in January of 23. And there's going to be some big shifts in leadership, especially on the Democratic side. So what can y'all tell us about Congresswoman Pelosi and Congressman Hoyer? So Pelosi and Hoyer have been longtime leaders of the Democratic Party. They did officially both announce that they are stepping back to make way for a new, and I think it's fair to say, younger leadership. So right now, a lot of people believe Hakeem Jeffries will become the new leader of the Democratic Party. So that is a huge shift, but I think it's one that a lot of people are very excited about. Do we expect much shift on the Republican side or what's going to happen over there? I think that Kevin McCarthy will get the vote for speaker. There always is a couple of people who try to run for speaker, and I think ultimately he'll prevail. So the House will be Republican, the Senate will 
certainly have a Democratic either majority or at least control because of the vice president. What would we expect in terms of our legislative priorities in 2023? So I think there will be more attention on MACRA. We have had a lot of conversations with House members, especially who are interested in reviewing the legislation. I think conventional wisdom is that you'll see House Republicans in the 118th Congress holding a lot of oversight hearings on various issues. And I think MACRA is well positioned to be one that they examine as well. All right, y'all, this is the podcast that we did immediately after the election. As everybody knows, these things have a tendency to shift a little bit in the weeks ahead. So please stay tuned. We have one more podcast in 2022. A couple things I'd like y'all to do in the meantime is make sure that you look at the new 118th Congress. If your member of Congress has changed or your senator has changed, consider maybe trying to find a way to get to know them, reach out to them and try to become a resource for them. Brittany and her crew has a whole lot of work that they typically do on that, and they can often help you gain that access and start to know those folks if you'd like to. And then also, as Catherine said, this is a key time for us to continue to advocate for our issues. So please go to AAOS.org and go to the advocacy side and get on to the Advocacy Action Center page there and make sure that you send letters to your member of Congress. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. It, it takes you just a couple of minutes and all those are extremely important. And we have one more of these episodes in 2022. And let me once again thank my two very good friends, Catherine Hayes and Brittany Starr for joining us on the podcast. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dr. Lundy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal healthcare, please visit aaos.org forward slash the Bonebeat advocacy.